love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM from Chapel FM Arts Centre. I'm in Studio One with Henry, who is on the desk. Hello. There he is, our broadcasting worker. He's been working in a school across the road today. And we also have the writer, Stu Hennigan. Hello, Stu. Hi, Peter. So this is uh, live from Studio One, and uh, it's great to be here. It's great to have Stu here. Stu, we've known each other quite a while in the context have, of right. your of your role with the uh, with Lee City Council with the library. T- tell us a bit about that and about yeah about you as a writer and uh, as well. Yeah, sure. So um, in the in the kind of real world, I work as the senior librarian for stock and reader development for Leeds Libraries. Um, it's quite a convoluted job title. It basically means that a lot of the stuff that we do, um, everything around stock acquisition, um, things that we do with writers, publishers, uh, poets, anything to do with reading and writing, broadly speaking, most of that comes through me um, to coordinate it citywide. So um, I've worked for the library service for about 14 years, I think, mm. changed jobs uh two or three times within that um and yeah it's a nice way to nice way to make a living well we've we, yeah you've done some work with schools before i mean i think over I the last couple of writing on airs you've done some tell us about those projects you did with young people yeah so um in one of my previous roles um when i was working as a librarian i covered seacroft library um seacroft library it's right next door to, to chapel fm so Seemed like a really obvious kind of link, given how much community work you guys do and how much um, I had to do in that role. Um, We did, quite a few years ago now, we did a project with four or five of the local schools where we um, we did a creative writing competition for them, and I just gave them the brief, um, write as a short story called The Secret Library. And we opened it out to all the year groups at every school. It was a voluntary thing. We just said, get as many entries as you can. Um, We picked one winner from each school. Um, I think we gave them a £10 book token. And then I came in here um, and recorded um, me reading them all on the air. And that was broadcast on the radio. Uh, Kids absolutely loved it. The schools absolutely loved it, um, and I really enjoyed it. There were some some really good stories in that project. Well, it was a lovely project, yeah, and yeah. Well, you know, you're probably not in your role now, but it would be lovely to do something similar again. It's always it's great to work with local schools, and we do a lot of that. As and Henry's just been over the road today, but we've yeah with primary schools over the years, we've done a lot of of really interesting stuff. But you're here today in a different capacity. You're here as a writer of a book called Ghost Signs, which is out very soon. And I've had um, I've been very fortunate enough to read um, some proof copy of that, sure. and it's a really really interesting piece of work um, about well you can you can tell us about the book and how it came together and we're going to hear some extracts from it and um, and talk about the the world of the book which is very much this 
very much where we are in, in Leeds, but also about Leeds more generally. At times it felt like a sort of dystopian tour of kind of, does. of uh, or a, a tour of a kind of dystopian Leeds um, yeah. and a, a gallery of portraits of, of extraordinary people. But anyway, I'll leave you to talk about it. How did it come about? So it came about um, when when COVID happened, which I don't think anyone's likely to, to forget, um, and the first lockdown in March 2020, all of the library sites in Leeds, along with pretty much every other building and public space in the city, was closed. Um, and the the council set up a COVID helpline for um, anybody who was self-isolating, couldn't get out and had no access to any food or shopping or anybody to, to help them with that. They set up um, a food distribution centre um, sort of over by the motorway and the they recruited a team of drivers from across the council basically. So they just put a call out and said anybody who wants to volunteer to come and deliver these food parcels can come and do it. And I thought that sounds like a really good way to, to spend lockdown, um, can kind of do something to help um, the people of the city when they need it. So I, I volunteered to do it. Um, and... I kind of I, I kind of knew straight away that I was going to write something about it. I wasn't entirely sure what. I think probably in common with with most writers when when covid happened it was just like what is going on here? Um and I just wanted to even if it was just for posterity I wanted to kind of write some things down. Um the first weekend that I worked um, on the van was Easter weekend. So they were all bank holidays, or would have been. Um, you know, most places were closed. But the the first day I was driving through the city and, you know, it's a big place. The city was completely empty and thought this, you know, this is a little bit strange here. Um, and the, the second day... Um, I had to go pick up some um, some medicine from a chemist in Morley. Um, from where we were at the at the distribution centre, it was it was about ten miles down the motor uh, down the motorway. I drove ten miles down the motorway, ten miles back again. Didn't see another car, another wagon, nothing. There was just me and the me and the M1. Um, and it was just like, wow, this is literally like front row seats to the end of the world. I've got to, I've got to write something about this because it's so kind of off the wall and so far out of everybody's experience and frame of reference. I've got to write something about it. So I, I took a notebook out and I started writing things down, um, and that just wasn't sustainable because I was then having to go home and be a husband and a daddy and do all that stuff and then try and type all the notes up in the evening. That wasn't working for me at all. So I started taking my laptop out and just in between jobs, every time I had five or ten minutes spare, fire up the laptop and um, kind of make some notes about where I'd been and who I'd spoken to and and things like that. And the, the actual publication of the book... Um, it's quite an interesting one. There's a writing on air connection for this, um, which you'll be pleased to know. So uh, Kevin Duffy from Blue Moose, the first time I met Kev, um, I I did a panel event for, for writing on air um, about independent publishing. Um, and we had PayPal Tree Press, who are another great local publisher, Blue Moose from Hebden Bridge, uh, and a writer from Leeds called SJ Bradley. 
um, and we recorded a panel discussion for writing on air. Um, at that time, I'd um, I'd actually submitted, I'd written a novel to Kev. Um, I'd written a novel and submitted it to Kev, I should say. Um, he didn't know about this at the time. Um, and after the event, kind of emailed him to say thank you for coming in and everything. Um, by the way, if something uh, finds the way to the top of the submission pile with my name on it, it is me. Um, but if you don't want it, you know, no hard feelings. I know how the game works kind of thing. Um, so six months went by. Um, Kev didn't want the novel, which was fine. Um, but we kind of kept in touch after that. And when I was out on the van, um, I was kind of sending Kev these little bulletins about some of the things that I was seeing and some of the things that were happening. Um, and he just said, are you writing any of this down? It's like, well, yeah, I've got 40, 50,000 words worth of notes at the moment. Um, he said, well, can I see it? And I was like, well, no, there's not really anything <laughs> to see at the moment. Um, but when I've got it into some sort of shape, we can, you can certainly have a look at it. And it just kind of went from there, really. Um, well, yeah, it'd be lovely to hear some extracts from the books, Stu. So but maybe you could give us your first extract now. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I've covered... I've kind of covered a little bit of this, um, but I'm going to read a little bit from the intro um, just because I think it kind of, it really sets out, the passage that I'm going to read, it really kind of sets out why the book needed to be written, I suppose, and some of the things that, um, some of the points that I'm trying to make and some of the, the issues that I'm trying to raise, it, it sets it all out fairly early, so... Um, yeah, this is from the intro. So in Leeds, the response from the council was immediate. They set up a COVID information helpline for residents who were worried. They also set up a food distribution centre in a warehouse in the east of the city from which food parcels could be sent out to anyone who was self-isolating. These parcels were delivered directly to people's homes by a team of volunteer drivers recruited from across the wider council. For over a decade, I've worked in an outreach and development role for the library service in the city. When a call went out for volunteers to deliver food parcels, I jumped at the chance. All the city's libraries were closed and I wanted to do something to help the people of Leeds when they needed it most. I decided right at the beginning to write something about the delivery role. I've always been a diarist and thought it would be good to be able to look back in years to come and read about what I did and how I felt during the crisis. However, it became apparent that the virus it became immediately apparent, sorry, that the virus wasn't the whole story. Once the helpline had been up and running for a few weeks, word got out that the council were giving away free food, and people struggling on low incomes from all over the city were quick to accept the offer of help. By the middle of May, the FDC had distributed almost twenty thousand food parcels to households and third sector partners, at an average of nearly four thousand a week. Over the course of five months, working Monday to Friday, I drove about three and a half thousand miles around the city, with the work taking me into the heart of some of the most disadvantaged estates and onto the doorsteps of some of the city's most vulnerable people. Many of the scenes I saw were horrifying, and in some parts of the city I was confronted by levels of deprivation that are unbelievable in the 21st century. Witnessed how years of Tory government has widened the gap between the haves and the have-nots to levels that are shocking to behold, 
at a time when there's more wealth in the country than ever before. The stark contrast between the immense privilege and dire poverty that splits the city and by extension the country almost in half. I saw firsthand the effects of austerity and how the savage cuts that started during the Cameron years have left local authorities floundering, financially unable to cope and lacking vital services when a disaster of this scale hit their communities. I visited people living in slum houses that should have been demolished decades ago, denied decent housing by the eternal diktat of private profit that allows landlords to become rich, while people on low incomes live below the poverty line. I saw communities torn apart by drugs and crime, generations of families living on benefits because they were born in places where aspiration is low and social mobility is practically non-existent. I met adults who were literally starving. I saw parents struggling to provide basic necessities for young families. I encountered children who looked at everyday food items like their extravagant birthday gifts. I saw people with severe mental health problems abandoned by the state to fend, them, fend for themselves and it struck me that something needed to be done to document all this. Strong stuff and it is very hard to read some of the things that are in the book and, and what comes through I guess is um, your shock as well about that. I mean I think that you're, you're not somebody who I would say was... Uh, a naive, a naive, you're sure. an innocent, you're, you, but at the same time, you seemed, you, it comes through the book very strongly. Is that, was that the case? Um, I, I think it was, it was up to a point. Yeah. Um, I've worked, um, I've worked all over the city for a long time and a lot of the communities that I'm speaking about, um, Seacroft, Hare Hills, Armley, um, are three kind of obvious examples um, they're all places that I've worked in before um, and I've done community work in all of those areas. So I'm conversant with, with what goes on, but there's a world of difference between um, me going into a school or speaking to a, a community group at a community centre or a church hall or some kind of public event um, and you've kind of got the you've got the kind of aesthetics of the poverty around you, I suppose you can see it, you know, that it's there. Um, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have the same impact as say when you're standing on someone's doorstep, um, and there's not a single intact pane of glass in the house and there's rubbish everywhere. And you look through the door and you can see there's mold on the walls. Um, and no carpets and the person that you're delivering the food to has got a six month old baby on their arm asking if you've got any nappies or baby formula it kind of rams it home in a in a completely different in a completely different way to what i'd experienced before um and i think on top of that the just the scale of the problem as well um i mean i i did the job for six months uh i was working four days a week and covered a lot of ground as as i've just read um and the kind of that level of poverty was an it was an everyday thing it was just something that i was dealing with all the time um and it wasn't just me delivering the parcels there was a whole team of us every single one of those drivers could have written a book just like this with completely different stories in. Um, and again, 
speaking of the you know the scale of the problem this is one city it's not a problem that's specific to leeds or even specific to the north of england you know it's happening in london bristol birmingham manchester leeds liverpool you name it it's it's there and that's kind of what um that's kind of what i'm trying to get across in in the book um there's a lot of press coverage given to poverty and you see things on the news you know everybody looks at stats and infographics and things that you know they'll tell you 10 percent of the population live in you know what's defined as poverty but you you never get the human face on it um and that was another thing that i was really really keen to do um when i was writing the book because in in the eyes of some people the the communities i'm speaking of just don't exist because they either don't see them or they see them and turn a you know turn a blind eye or you know there are the other people who just flat out refuse to to believe that it's happening and it's you know it's all there documented in the book and that's that's what i'm really trying to get across well we're going to hear another reading from the book uh in a in a minute first of all we're going to hear a piece of music you've chosen Stu. so this is by um the Appleseed cast. Tell yes. us about that. Um, yeah, well, this this was an interesting one. They, they were a band that I used to love um, oh, many, many, many years ago when I was a teenager. Um, and the, the first weekend that I was out, um, I was actually in my car rather than the van for the first couple of weeks, but I was out in the car delivering the parcels and... Um, I just grabbed a random CD from the top of the pile when um, when I was going out the door and I was like, oh, it's this one. God, I've, I've not heard this for years. And I I put it on um, and there was something, there was just something about the vibe of it that was, it was absolutely perfect um, when I was driving around the empty city. Um, and I just listened to it on repeat, the whole, the whole record. I had it on repeat for about a week. Um, so to me, this is kind of, this is the, this is the soundtrack to the end of the world, I suppose.
So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM from Chapel FM Arts Centre in Studio One with Stu Hennigan talking about Ghost Signs published by Blue Moose Books very soon. Um, a book about lockdown and about driving and delivering food, which is what Stu did during that time. Uh, so, yeah, let's have another extract from the book, if you will. Yeah, sure. Um, so this, the second bit that I've got is... Um it's from fairly early on, um, this extract, and it was one of those... Um, it kind of left a mark on me without it really being a particularly notable event in a in a funny sort of way. There was just something about the... Um, There's just something about the whole scene that was a little bit... felt a little bit strange to me. Um, but a lot of the things that um, I've spoken about in relation to... Um, you know, the visible signs of poverty and things like that. There's lots of that um, in this extract. So, uh, and this was in, this was somewhere near Pudsey, if I remember rightly. So the streets on the way look nice enough, but there's a distinctly different atmosphere here. Two young lads in tracksuits sit in a white golf outside the house, drinking Cokes from plastic bottles, smoking and giving me evils. They stare at me pulling up, and they're still staring long after I've got back into the car to drive away. The door's answered by a stick-thin woman with terrible skin, her face pockmarked like the surface of an asteroid-ravaged moon. When she opens her mouth to speak, her voice is almost as deep as mine, and she sounds like she smokes about 60 a day. She's flanked by a skinny lad whose age is hard to judge. He looks too old for primary school, but too young to be a teenager. Even though his hair is cropped short, I can see it's thick with grease and he has the beginnings of a couple of spots on his dirty chin. Tar love, she says, is that all for me? Yeah. I hand her one of the bags and she takes it. The skin on the backs of her hands cracked and dry. Nails black and encrusted with muck. It's heavy and she nearly drops it as the weight takes her by surprise. I'll put these inside for you, shall I? It's more of a statement than a question because it's obvious she won't be able to carry them. Yeah, that'd be good. She seems edgy, keeps glancing around nervously and shooting what she thinks are furtive looks at the lads in the car. She stands back so I can put the bags in the house for her. Inside, the walls are feculent with black mould and there's a lingering smell as if the toilet or drain is blocked. Through the open living room door I can see part of the ceiling hanging down. Great rents in the plasterboard, crumbling flakes of grey dandruff onto the threadbare carpet. Can you manage them from there? I ask. Yeah, she puffs on a fag. Tom will help me. Come on, love, let's get these in the kitchen. They take a bag each, both of them clearly struggling with the weight, and the door closes, the woman casting a final weary glance back over her shoulder at the lads in the car as she goes in. Yeah, well, so some of the images have even just reading some sections on on my computer screen last night have really stayed with me over the overnight and over day over yeah. the day today and and they almost like photographs. They're they're like a kind of photo gallery of people who don't have names, but they yeah. they they kind of stay with you. So that's to your credit in terms of writing. But um, 
very shocking. I mean, it also reminded me of those photographs of by rather like the photographs that uh, we've had here recently displayed by the famous 1970s photographer Peter. Mitchell. Mitchell. Thank sure. you, Henry. Uh, and we tend to look at those photographs and think, oh, you know, that's a bygone era. That's yeah. that's a different time. It's 40, 50 years ago. Those, what you're describing there could easily fit that world too. Yeah. Um, I mean, how did it affect you in terms of that period? How long were you doing it for, the delivering? Um, I, I did it for six months, uh, just short of six months. Yeah, I think the, I started at Easter... Uh, and the the food distribution centre closed at some point in September, I think. So mm. um, it it was tough. I mean, it, it's interesting. It, it's a question that I get asked quite a lot um, when I'm when I'm asked to to speak in relation to the book. How did it affect me? I mean, it affected me quite a lot. But I was keen that that wasn't going to form part of the narrative because. <laughs> it's not my story it's the story of the people and yes f- for me it was stressful at times uh there was a threat of violence at times which took me completely by surprise can i ask you why 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 were you threatened what on what sort of occasion um so the what used to happen was um people would they would see the council van and or the council badge um, and they would just assume that I was the enemy because to them, um, that's that's who I was. They, they couldn't kind of conceive that, I'm, that I might have been there to help. So people were sometimes um, a little bit aggressive at first um, until they realised why I was why I was there. Um, so you you were you were in effect to blame for other things for that that mold on the wall, for instance, or other kind of yeah yeah possibly I think it was just the I think the people seemed to just feel very very disenfranchised and as if they'd just kind of been left somehow um, the yeah there were a couple of incidents there was a man in Armley one day who he literally came running out of his house with his shirt off. Um, screaming expletives at me um, and you know I can't repeat any of that on the air but I, was, I wasn't I was even visiting his house I was dropping a food parcel off mm. next door that really rattled me um, and there was a couple of other similar things that happened that were quite tough um, and just generally a lot of the things um, I found it upsetting, especially with with children. There were a lot of children that we were delivering to, and you know, as as I said in the the bit that I read from the intro, there were there were kids who'd react to a box of shreddies like it was a birthday present, and that's heartbreaking mm. when you're dealing with that day after day after day. You know, you just think starving children in 21st century Britain. That's that's crazy that shouldn't happen that can't happen and yet it does because you know i was out there the drivers were out there you know it's it's just there Pe- people are living like that and presumably those kids those parents were expected to be helping their kids do online schooling uh yeah yeah you think so and it was just i mean it was a horrible time for for everybody wasn't it yeah it was indeed so um yeah, in terms of the way people received you, you wrote some interesting, there were some interesting passages about the different ways that people received those packages, yeah. the different spirit in which they did, if you like, the different attitudes to those things. Tell, tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah, that that was quite that was quite interesting in itself. I mean, there were, there, there was a tendency of um, it was almost like a generational thing. There were the older generations. The first question that they that they asked was, "How much is it?" And they were discombobulated when I told them that it was free. What it doesn't cost anything. No, and they they couldn't believe it, you know, because they're of a generation where you know you don't get some up for now, and they they were expecting to be to be charged, and to it to the point where I think it alludes to it in the in the book at one point. I would the door would open and I'd see who was there, and straight away I'd just be waiting for them to to get the wallet out, and hmm. almost invariably they did, or they'd say how much. Um, and that was that was quite noticeable. Um, so that's from, they're from a, a pre-welfare state world, in, in fact, I suppose. That yeah, kind of mindset. yeah, you'd yeah. think so. Um, and then for the you know some of the younger generations, it was just accepted as a kind of fact that that's what that's what we were doing. It kind of wasn't questioned. I've got to say, most people were really, really, really grateful, um, and it was. It was quite humbling how grateful some people were actually, which which is another thing that I found found quite hard, you know. Um when people are in tears of gratitude because you've taken them some cereal and some pasta and some tea bags, you know, that's that's quite a that's quite a thing to behold, you know, because it wasn't they weren't spectacular things we were taking you know the just basic items of food and people were so so grateful to to receive them um which just goes to kind of reinforce the the value of what we were doing i suppose so what do you hope for the book in terms of what what, what impact do you hope it has um yeah it's a good question i, I hope that it that it goes somewhere to raising awareness of of what's happening. I suppose that's the biggest that's the biggest thing, because um, as we've said, the people are conversant with stats and things like that, but you never really get a human face on it, and that's what I was really really keen to do um, with this is actually show that every single individual behind those stats they're all people they've all got feelings and they've got their own problems and worries and families and houses all of that gets lost in a graph you don't you know you don't get any of that um and i mean it's interesting that you you kind of mentioned they're almost like snapshots um and that was kind of how i how i was trying to do it in a sense where it, it was just that in a way i wanted me to be more or less invisible um in the narrative i mean i know that that's not practical from from certain points of view um but my personal kind of feelings and i wanted to try and keep as much of that out of it as possible and just kind of just show it day by day this is what's happening this is how these people are, are living and just to just to try and give them a bit of a voice as well um I suppose because they're not often given the opportunity to to be visible. I suppose, um, and that was that was one of the main one of the main things. So anything that it can do to kind of rate, you know rate, raise awareness on that front, I think that'll be a really valuable thing. And if it does that, I'll be pleased. <laughs> 
I think it's in a tradition, the book, of, of you know, a worthy tradition, really, going back to George Orwell. I mean, thinking about the road to Wigan Pier, and, uh, you know, he, he remains quite invisible. He, it's not about him. It's about the people he meets. It's yeah. about the world he's in. And I, I think it's very much in that tradition. Um, it'd be, yeah. Did you want to say something about that? Yeah, I was just going to say it's, it's an interesting reference point because the that's been mentioned a lot in in relation to this book um and it's extremely flattering obviously um and i can i can see the parallels um between the you know between the two books when when i was a teenager um george orwell was a really important writer to me he was one of the first kind of serious writers that i read when i was i don't know i've been about 13 or something like that um and I actually, um, I actually bought the road to Wigan Pier for my, um, well, for me, um, and I got a copy for my mum's mum, and I gave it to my um, my grandparents on the other side as well because that that was them. They were, um, you know, they were mill workers and they had nine, ten, eleven children living in tiny little houses, um, and I actually gave that book to them. And said, "Is this how you guys used to live? Seriously?" And they were like, "Yeah." And it it kind of left quite a mark on me that because it just made it very, very, made it very, very real. Um, in that sense, um, so it's kind of it's interesting that he's drawing those parallels. I mean, the in a way, I, th- I think it was published in 1937, something like that. And in some ways, an awful lot hasn't changed. You know, the obviously. Technolog- technologically human society has made kind of enormous strides and lots has changed in some senses but some of the back-to-back houses that I was visiting they will have been standing when that book was written the The last back-to-back houses were built in Leeds in 1937 which was the year that the book was published so some of the people that I was out visiting will have been living in houses that were that were around and lived in by the type of um by the type of people that he was writing about and i think it's um it's a pretty shocking indictment of where we're at really that you can be you can be looking at something from 100 years ago or if you look at um the ragged trousered uh, philanthropists is another one when you you read that and i mean that's over 100 years old now i think um but the the painters and decorators in that they're on zero hours contracts that's what we call it that's what we call it these days um Back then, it was just piecemeal work, and if you were one of the lucky ones, when you rocked up in the morning, you got a job. And if you if you weren't one of the lucky ones, you didn't get one. And zero hours contracts, it's exactly the same thing. So in some ways, lots has changed, but we're we're no further on, and that's profoundly depressing, I think. So let's hear the third extract, and then we'll hear another piece of music, and then I'm going to ask you about what else you're writing, because I know you are. Yeah, sure. So um i've sort of had to think long and hard about this because um the the extract i was going to read uh i read it um at publishers fair in manchester recently and i nearly cried on stage so i'm not going to do that one um so this is um it's another one the the person that i'm writing about here is quite an extreme example um I mentioned kind of in the intro there were people um 
some of the people that we were dealing with were um, alcohol users, uh, drug users, um, and that wasn't across the board by any means. It was a minority of what we were what we were dealing with. But um, this is this is a pretty good kind of example of how how poorly that can make some people, and you know how how you can end up. Um, you know the conditions you can end up living in. So the first drop is near Hunslet Car Primary School in Middleton, and I park outside surveying the scene. It's an old-fashioned building with Leeds School Board 1875 carved into the stone at the top of the gable end, emanating austere Victorian dread against the gunmetal grey of the sky. Red bricks, dark roof, blue fence. From where I'm sitting, I can see a tradesman outside his house, washing his white van, whistling cheerfully to himself as he scrubs at the front wheels with a wire brush. Out of nowhere, a ghostly figure appears. A shade so slight, it appears that an empty dressing gown has floated past, smoking a fag and holding a brew. It's a sexless, ageless spectre, head and face enshrouded within the cavernous hood, gone in an instant. I get out and start to look for the drop, walking up and down the snickets in the usual aimless fashion and trying to make sense of the numbering system. I don't have much luck, and I'm thinking about going back to the van to to regroup when I turn into a dark little corner and find myself in front of a flat with a door that's been booted in so many times it's a wonder there's any of it left. Turns out that this is the place I'm looking for. When I knock, I'm answered by a disembodied voice, a barely audible, Who's that? drifting from behind the door. I introduce myself and the remains of the door open a crack. There on the steps is the wraith I saw walking past the van. She's sitting at the bottom of a carpetless flight of steps, junk mail and rubbish piled up 12 inches deep all over the floor around her. Her lips are puckered and sagging around toothless gums. She has a skull for her head and bones for hands. The nightmare death in life is she. Her dressing gown looks like it might have been white once, but now it's practically black, so dirty that it looks soaking wet. Sticking out from under it are her rotten legs, mottled purple, and I can smell the suppurating flesh of her abscesses from here. I go to the van to get the parcels, and she's still sitting there when I return, staring into space and smoking. She looks a hundred years old. I leave the food at the bottom of the stairs, squashing down some of the multicoloured junk on the floor. I have no idea how she's going to get it up the stairs. She's so thin, it's a wonder she can even lift a cigarette. It's a doomy start to the day, and right on cue, it starts to pour down as I'm walking back to the van. Thanks, Sue. Well, that's from Ghost Signs. And what when's the book out? Uh, so it's out on the 23rd of June. Um, it's published by Blue Moose. Um, the the launch event is on the 23rd of June as well. That's at Leeds Central Library. So um, we've got Blue Moose in there all month um, at the moment. We've got an event with them on Thursday night this week about independent publishing. Um, and we've got a Blue Moose um, author's evening next week with Colette Snowden and Anna Chilvers, which I'm hosting. And then the week after, we've got my... Um, We've got my launch event, although I'm booking the day off and going in as a as a writer rather than em, rather than an employee. So that make a nice change. 
lovely. Um, well, congratulations on the book. Let's hear some more music that you've chosen. This is by Heart Sounds. Or is it the tr- is a track called Heart Sounds? Uh, the band is called Heart Sounds. The track is called Until We Surrender. Um, this is another one that was just on constantly um, when I was out in the van. Listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. So, yeah, we've had Stu Hennigan talking about Ghost Signs, which is out on June the 23rd. I thoroughly recommend it. And uh, you can listen back to this programme on the website at www.chapelfm.com. 
www.bookshop.co.uk. Um, in terms of independent publishing, uh, publishing, we've been talking about Blue Moose, but also uh, we, we're hosting our first publisher in residence, who is People Tree Press, who've been referred right. to already. Uh, the next three or four Love the Words episodes in this season are interviews with writers from the Caribbean, mostly writing the Caribbean from under in the under the in, within the People Tree Press stable. Um, I was talking yesterday to Ira Matua, fant- fantastic writer based in Trinidad, and she'll be on next week. Sue, so, so what are you what are you working on now? Uh, I'm working on lots of things at the moment. I'm kind of in that annoying position of having too much to write and nowhere in it, nowhere near enough time. Um, I've got. Um, I've got the first draft of a novel that I'm writing that I'm about 90% of the way through that I'm dying to just put to bed then I can start the task of actually writing it properly Um, and I've got a whole document full of short stories that are sketched out more or less fully formed as well so that's just waiting to go um, when I get the time to write it but obviously I work full time I've got young kids um and i play in the band as well which is what i'm supposed to do for recreation but we're starting booking some gigs and stuff now so that's going to turn into um more work but that's fine i enjoy it all so it's better to be busy than bored great and uh, the novel the novel and the short stories blue moose or another different publisher um nothing certain as yet i mean the um the novel blue moose will have first refusal on on the novel um so kev hasn't seen it yet because it's very early days for it and i want to get it um i want to get it in really really good shape before i start um kind of showing that to people because the the construction of it's quite complicated um in a certain sense and i need to get that bit done before i can really start um passing it around um and the short stuff I've never been very good at writing short stuff. Um, it always feels all the feedback that I've ever had from um, short stuff that I've written previously is that it's very well written, but it seems like an extract of something longer rather than it being a self-contained piece. Um, so I'm just finding my feet again with that. Really, um, I've done a couple that I'm fairly pleased with. Um, submitted a few to. Um, kind of like magazines and different different places so i'm just trying to really just trying to write as much as i can um i gave up writing for 15 years when i was in my 20s i actually just i stopped doing it as a serious thing because i got sick of all the rejections i just wasn't thick-skinned enough to to deal with any of that um and i didn't start taking it seriously again until what 2018 which was around the time that i met um that I met Kev, um, so I've I've kind of got a taste for it now, um, and I've sort of remembered why it was that I used to love doing it so much for all those you know all those years ago. So I'm just trying to do as as much as I can, and then hopefully um, you know hopefully this book will do okay. I've got a bit of a foot in the door now, so we'll see what happens. Great. Well, thanks. For coming on Love the Words, and it's you know re- always lovely to work with you too. And um, future in writing on air and in anything you've any ideas you've got in, in terms of your you know your 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 role as a, a librarian in the city. 
brilliant cool. and uh, yeah thanks for coming on just to say a few things before we finish thanks Henry for being on the desk um, and thanks for listening as ever to you people out there a um, few things coming up just to mention on Saturday the 11th of June we're doing our first kind of meeting big open meeting on our home from home project nowhere have we needed social spaces more than we need them today uh, places like Chapel FM Ellis 14 up the road Pubs, churches, sports centres, places where people meet and get together. Um, and we're going to be doing a project on that. Stories about places that exist in the city, have that have existed, that should exist. So if you're interested in gathering stories, sharing stories about that theme, do come along on Saturday, 12 o'clock. Um, or con- go on the website and there's a post about it and you can book a place on it. It's free, obviously. The 25th of June, we're showing uh, Tony Harrison's film. Prometheus so that's something not to miss on July the 18th we're holding that's a Monday evening we're holding the first open meeting for writing on air 2022 and that is a chance if you're interested in producing a program which and uh, putting it out as part of the festival um, which will go out locally and worldwide uh, probably amongst 60 other programs it's a four-day festival in november you know just come along to that meeting on monday july the 18th or if you know anybody or any group who might want to be involved in showcasing work or making a program on the theme of home where do we belong where do we where, you know how, leaving home returning home what is home uh, having to 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 leave one's home suddenly make a new home lots lots to travel with there so uh, that's all for today on Love the Words. We'll be back next week with that interview with Ira Matur, the writer from People Tree Press. Goodbye. Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words. From ELFM Quando eu canto E a chuva cair